Hello. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome. We hope everybody's doing well today. We are the Chicks in Charge, and I am Jess. I'm Shasta. And we are so excited to light it up with you guys today. We have a very special guest with us today. Um, we have Stan Share with Dealer E Training, and we are so excited to bring him on. Yes, absolutely. We have a great show in store for you today. Um, the topic is going to be BDC, the great debate. So without further ado, Stan, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for being here. Yeah, we're um, so excited to have you here. Absolutely. Give our um, audience a little bit a, of a intro to you and um, your experience and what you do. So I'm Stan Sher. I'm the founder of Dealer Training. Um, I have been in automotive industry for the last 20 years. Uh, actually, this year, a few months ago, I celebrated 20 years. And uh, I've been able to do a lot of interesting things. I've sold cars. I've managed dealerships. I was a GM for a little bit. Um, I was an internet sales BDC marketing director. Um, started dealery training in 2010, uh, focusing on BDC, and I've evolved into a lot more things like dealership operations. Um, a lot of people don't know about me, but I was also in charge of uh, growing CSI for a dealership before. And so uh, that's been a lot of what I've been doing in recent times alongside with BDC and, and digital operations. Um, I also wrote a book, uh, not automotive. I wrote a book that I released uh, almost about a year and a half ago called Social Shares of Skills that Pay the Bills. Uh, it's almost like a little mini biography just, you know, coming up, uh, you know, with different challenges in life. Um, so I was originally born in Ukraine. I came here when I was five. And so I wrote a book uh, basically on uh, how to survive and thrive and, and, you know, with all the challenges that happen in life. Um, outside of automotive, I own a credit repair business and, uh, for fun, I love to play guitar, drink wine, and smoke cigars. Wow. Um, so I try to be a very well-rounded person. And uh, But BDC operations is very near and dear to my heart. This is what I've been good at. And this is what I've pretty much created, a carved out a, a niche career for myself. Yeah, I think um, when I hear your name, a lot of people associate you with BDC, especially you know myself. Um, I think that's how you and I came to be in the same circle um, it's funny because my husband was asking me this morning, I was telling him, I said, Hey, if, if you want to watch the podcast, we're going live around noon. And he's like, Oh, who's your guest. And I was, I was telling him about you. And he's like, Oh, well, how did, how did you guys meet him? And I'm like, honestly, uh, with Stan, I said, I don't even know the first time we technically met. I said, it could be a conference. It could have been, you know, we just ended up Facebook friends first and then met at a conference. Finally, we I said, met a con for the first time in person. I think yep. I thought so, but I didn't know where we connected on social for the first time. You just that's one of those things with this industry. Yeah. You connect with so many people on social media first and then finally end up meeting them at a conference and you just feel like you've known each other for so long. Yep. I think it was in Vegas last year because Stan signed the cardboard cut out of you. <laughs> cut out of you. That's true. <laughs> I wasn't there. My <laughs> booth was right next door. I was literally right next to your booth. And you were you had, you weren't able to make it, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fun story if you guys don't know that one. Yeah. Shasta was supposed to go with us and then she had an emergency appendectomy last minute. So she yeah, thought I, thought she I was, was going. Go. <laughs> I thought I was going. I was determined, but um, doctors and everybody was like, mm -mm. We all knew before she did that she wasn't going. So yeah. we we bought tickets and made her think that we bought her some too. Yeah. No, I, I still thought like up until like, I think that we were flying out on a Sunday or everybody was supposed to fly out on a Sunday. And I thought up until Saturday that I was still going. And I, I went over to Robin's house and was like limping with like a hunch. 
because my my insides hurt so bad. And uh, finally, I was like, I, I felt like I was letting Robin down because I thought she thought I was going and told her I was like, I don't know how to tell you this, but it's going to be really hard for me. And she's like, you're the only one who doesn't know that you're not going. <laughs> oh, why, did, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you I tell love me? Robin. She's so cool. Oh, she's yeah. the best. She's awesome. So um, with, without further ado, I know that the, the BAC topic is such a hot one. Um, it's funny. I, I, we talk about it every week. The first um, episode that we did of the show was about BDC processes. Yep. And to this day, it is still our most streamed episode, which is um, just, I don't know why, but it's shocking to me, um, which goes to show that it um, is a topic that needs to be discussed more in the industry. And um, it's something that people want to talk about, need to know. And um, I think there's a lot of questions that people don't even know to ask, mm -hmm. you know? So you do a lot of training in dealerships with BDCs, right? Yes. Okay. What would you say is the number one topic you feel you have to hit on almost every dealership you go into with the BDC? I think a lot of it's mindset. I, I think, um, I think the number one topic, even before phone skills and CRM processes and email templates, and I think it's just being able to manage your time a lot better. And for the longest time, I didn't focus on that. And then I just started to realize, you know, why are people only making 50, 60 calls a day or 30 calls a day? And I think it's really more time management. I think it's really more of a mindset. I think a BDC person needs to be self-motivated. I always talk about uh, a couple things. Uh, number one, uh, they need to learn communication skills. There's a lot of things that don't get trained. I mean, we can train people on phone processes and how to talk on the phone, but communication skills. I, you know, many years ago, somebody turned me on to Toastmasters. And I talk a lot about this, even when I facilitate meetings, I, I do work with an OEM. And um, I talk about, even for salespeople, it's important to get those communication skills get, you know, get into Toastmasters uh, so that you can network with other people and you can learn how to be a better public speaker and an effective communicator. Matter of fact, the first 10 speeches that you do as part of a Toastmasters meeting is to create, turn you into a um, effective communicator. So I think that that's, that's a self-development thing. And I feel like BDC people, a lot of them, you know, I, I wrote an article not long ago on LinkedIn, you know, a difference between a BDC professional and a BDC hack, right? And I feel like a professional is one that, is self-motivated. They're constantly learning. They're on YouTube 30 minutes a day. They're watching videos, whether it be your videos or my videos. And um, so I think that's the most important thing. Everything else is just process. You know, you start doing it every day, it becomes a part of you. Absolutely. And I think something you said there, um, the, the communication piece for the BD, BDR uh, is so, so, so important because if they if they don't realize how they come across to the customer, because you lose, um, this is something that a trainer once told me, you lose four out of your five senses when you're on the phone with the customer. The customer loses four out of the five senses to connect with you. You only have sound at that point. They can't see you. They can't, they can't touch you, which sounds weird. Um, <laughs> they can't smell you. They can't, um, oh my gosh, now I'm forgetting the fourth. Sight, sound. Well, they don't want to taste you. So I guess that's the fourth. <laughs> that's the fourth. Um, but they, they lose those other four, and so they can only hear you. So if you're not smiling, if you're not, um, you know, speaking up and clearly, that, that's not a positive experience for them. And so 
a lot of times if if you just have your you know your voice down here and you're you know focused on the one thing you're paying attention to and you're just down here you don't realize how much you've just dropped your tone of voice and made that conversation not a positive one for them you've got to to keep that tone of voice up you've got to speak clearly you have to enunciate and smiling while you dial is so 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 important we literally had the conversation yesterday about putting up a mirror in somebody's bay so that they can see themselves while they are on the phone Mm -hmm. and see the facial expressions that they make because hey you need to you need to see if you're not smiling while you dial you're probably frowning and if you're frowning the customer hear that i promise you (laughs) Well, let's not forget too that, you know, being a BDR is such a repetitive job. Mm -hmm. You're constantly doing the same thing over and over again. And although you're going to have different conversations that are going to go in different ways, I think that um, unless you can really see yourself, I think that that repetitiveness gets somebody kind of bogged down a little bit. And um, it's hard for them to remember to pick up that energy level again Mm -hmm. once they've done it so many times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I've been training that and, uh, with my teachings, I tell people get a mirror, and they're like, "I don't want to look at myself." Well, trust me, you'll 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 learn a lot about um, yourself and and things that you need to improve on just by being able to see your face. And because a lot of that, it's your energy, right? If you're not smiling, it, you have that negative energy and the negative vibe, and it's going to affect what you say and how you say it. We don't think about that a lot, but that's it's true. It's funny because. Robin's watching with us, but Robin's been our, our podcast coach since we've been doing this. And from the, from the first episode, she's watching and then she'll like, she'll write us little tips as we're doing this. And she's like, okay, so you guys need to smile more. You need to look at the camera, not the screen, <laughs> look up at the camera, make sure that you're yeah. smiling. And it's like, and so we've gotten to the point where we're like having to sit here and you almost have to awkwardly smile the whole time. And yep. you're like, it feels so unnatural. But if you don't, then you just have RBF the whole time. And they're like, <laughs> with her why is she just sitting there with like sour face and so it's even when you're on video too it applies there as well because you don't realize it if you're not paying attention to it but like i'm sitting here trying to look at you stan because i feel like (laughs) i'm having having the conversation conversation, but you don't know that i'm not that i'm looking at you it just looks like i'm looking off to the side yeah like i'm looking at the camera which is a little slightly higher and then i'm looking at you and and i'm like okay i'm not really looking at you (laughs) i feel like i'm not paying attention to you if i'm looking at the camera but then it actually looks like i'm looking at you (laughs) so so stan what do you think is the biggest training flaw that you see whenever you go into bdc's like like are there bad habits that are being trained into bdc's that you're seeing um you know while while you're doing your own training there's a lot of flaws um and I go back to being a professional versus being a hack. Um, too many people think they know it all. Too many people don't want to self-develop. And uh, what happens is it comes from the leadership of the department. You walk into a dealership to start training and you'll notice when you have people in that department that uh, who listens to you and who wants to take notes and implement things. And then those people that will try to fight it and say, well, that's not going to work. You know, I disagree with doing it this way. We're doing it that way. And you're going to get that. And, and it all comes down from the leadership. When you have a, a BDC director manager that is all about getting trained and all about taking notes, um, you know, that's uh, that to me is is a win. But then I've walked into dealerships where no matter what I've trained, when I left, they went back to their same old ways. Um, I also think that the biggest flaw is the dealerships that don't uh, you know, regularly train or coach. They don't sign up for a program. Um, I can't tell you how many dealerships I've walked into and uh, provided a service and then ended up 
it just ended up being a banding, right? And it's like three weeks later, they're back to their same old ways. And then the blame gets put on me for not doing a good job where I put my heart into it even more than I should have. Um, so I, I think it just comes down to the biggest flaw is just the person's mindset. Absolutely. Well, and, and the, the, the leadership not being properly trained or, or people bringing in um, managers who aren't properly trained or properly prepared for the job. Um, yeah. And it's hard to find those people. This, you and I know this is not an easy job. For somebody to do it the right way and know it in depth is so, it's, it's not an easy job. It's not easy to teach. It's not easy to learn and it doesn't happen overnight. Um, in training somebody for that position doesn't happen overnight. Yes. Well, and I think that, I think too, like I think that dealerships are so quick to spend tens of thousands of dollars on training their BDC. But then when that trainer leaves, who is, who is there being the leadership from the top down and forcing that training saying, hey, we just spent thousands of dollars on you guys to train you guys this way. Why are we not applying that? Mm-hmm. Um, so if they're, if the leadership at the top is not invested in the BDC, Absolutely. it doesn't matter how much money they throw into training. That BDC is not going to continue to perform after that. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is true. And it, it happens a lot. Like I'm in stores three to four days a week. And, you know, I, I I'm probably working with close to 30 stores, uh, you know, on the OEM side. And I can say that, um, maybe 5% of the BDC managers that I actually meet uh, actually truly invest in themselves and they're, they're focused. And, you know, like, I, you know, I'm a very big nerd at this and I love it when I can walk into a store and sit down with a BDC director. And like, I have one BDC director in a store that taught me how to do uh, text blasts through Vint Solutions. There, there was a sneaky way of doing it. And, uh, you know, he was showing me how to do it and he does it in a store and he does well with it for service and sales. And then, you know, I'll come up and I'll talk about Chad GPT. And then he actually sits there and takes notes. And, and you know, I, I always love that. But then you have others that it goes in one ear out the other. And that happens a lot, too. So um, I, I for me, it's, it's a lot of fun when when we can really have that real engaging conversation. I have to address this comment from Ron. Other managers and staff think the BDC is the redheaded stepchild of the dealership. That needs to change. BDC is the heartbeat of the dealer. He's right. It's true. 100%. It's true, but it's hilarious because I have two redheaded stepchildren. <laughs> you know what? You're right, and this is why I'm out of retail. This is why I don't want to be in retail anymore. Yeah. I, I've I can't tell you how many times I've went into stores, fixed things, only only to be told you're being paid too much, or uh, or we're going another direction, or maybe my pay got cut. Um, that that's why I personally left retail because I I knew that I was good at it. I've never uh, went into a BDC that uh, that was failing. I, I would build it up and I would make things happen. And then it would just be, you know, because you know how some dealers are, they, they change their mind one month, they're outsourcing the next month they're building and they spend so much money on chairs. It's crazy. Yeah. So I've been there. Sergio here says he agrees. The training does not happen overnight, but as well, a lot of the C- CEOs expect results right away. So yep. Sergio actually um, runs an outsourced BDC um, that is actually located in Belize for a store located wow. in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's a great manager. He implements when he needs to implement. Um, great manager, but it it's true. It doesn't happen overnight. And I'm I'm a person that um, I'm all about instant gratification. And this job and instant gratification 100% do not go together. <laughs> it does not go together. And so I find myself disappointed more times um, often than not. 
Hey, I'm going to pause here for just a second because we have a couple of more viewers come on. Will you guys please go and share this podcast? Share, share, share. Thank you. I got I, I to gotta add a quick point to that, right, uh, about the instant gratification. I, um, I always walk in, and I know everybody always wants results right away, but I always walk in and I always say, it's going to get worse before it gets better. You got to give me two weeks. And I'll give you the perfect example. Last year, I took over before uh, I went on the OEM side, I took over to run a six door group, which I quit after two months. And I, we had an outsourced BDC, which is we're going to get into that discussion in a little bit, I know. Um, but we had a, a situation where we had an in-store BDC making calls an outsourced BDC making calls. Um, we had a third-party AI program engaging and our salespeople. And I remember coming in my first Saturday, only had two people show up out of 29. And we had like 15 cancellations because the customer felt like there was too many people hitting him from all angles. Was and uh, the same store? What's that? That many people yes. were dialing for the same store? Well, yes. yeah, for, it was for six stores. It was for six stores. It was it was crazy. Wow. And and so uh, I, you know, and then I'm getting told, oh, your first day in and already we're failing. And I'm like, it's going to get worse where it gets better. And I got that quote. Um, you guys are, you, you ladies are a little younger than me a couple, by a couple of years, but there was a really, really cool movie that, that I love from 1989 called Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze, where he was a, a bouncer and uh, he would get hired as a consultant to go and fix a broken bar. And the first thing he said, remember when the owner said to him, oh, it looks like things are getting better. He said to him, it's going to get worse before mm -hmm. it gets better. I always use that as my analogy for it's going to get worse where it gets better. You know, you're going to have to give me a couple of days. Uh, so ultimately in that store, I, I fired the outsource BDC. I, I shut down the AI program. Everybody was coming to me. Hey, we need leads to call. And I said, no, no, no. You're going to call the people that you didn't sell to. You're going to give me two, three weeks to give us a little bit of a cool down period. I go next month. We're going to hit the ground running. I, I hired eight people. We built a room and we started killing it. 30 to 40 appointments Saturdays per store. Um, I had Saturdays where I ran an 86% show rate. We were selling cars. I eventually just got fed up and I quit because of all the other nonsense that came along. But but um, it always gets worse before it gets better. And that's what people need to understand. I agree. You said something there. It's funny because I just grabbed a, a notepad to write it down because I wanted to remember to come back to it. You said something there about um, the BDR saying something about wanting more leads to call. And so um, I've worked with stores in the past that the BDC would, would complain saying um, our leads are crap. You know, we need better leads. We don't have enough leads. And the numbers proved they had enough leads and they weren't doing enough with them. So, uh, you know, what's your what's your combat to a dealer when the BDC is saying we don't have enough leads and we don't have the right kind of leads? I just look at how many times you call them, how many times you text them, how many times you email them. Uh, these leads respond to you. Uh, and, I, you know, it's so funny now that I'm doing stuff on the OEM side. Um, you know, there's uh, like JD Power uh, surveys that we work with, right? And and what's cool about that is we go through uh, this little thing called the rejector report, where, where when you look at a dealer's uh, uh, CSI, uh, and it shows you know people that bought that shopped the store and then ended up going to buy the same brand somewhere else. And what's cool about that is I get to start to see the rejector on a digital end of things and on a showroom end of things. I get to see where. Um, why the people are leaving and, and it comes down to sometimes they don't come into the dealership because and buy somewhere else because of the communication questions weren't answered it was a difficult uh, um situation of getting price sometimes it's inventory right but but i get to see that now and i and the one thing that i tell 
the dealer just, you know, when they tell me, hey, the, the leads are bad. It, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you get a call monitoring system in place? You know, get like a call review or something, right? Or or a car wars or um, I think Total CX, whatever they are, right? And why don't you start getting alerts, you know, and set your alerts up to, to, to alert you uh, when a question is not being answered properly. And then start to really dive into uh, you know, why you're missing business. Maybe it's time that we change our conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, especially we had the opportunity to change our conversation in the last couple of years. It went from what's your best price to do you have the car in stock? And now it's coming back to do you have the vehicle and what's your best price? And by the way, what's the rates and residuals? I started noticing that in January when I started going into stores. So the conversation is going back. So we need to be able to switch from one mode to another mode to work in uh, with the market. Absolutely. Well, and that was another conversation that you and I had not too long ago was, you know, we needed to go back in and audit our scripts and mm-hmm. make sure that they are still relevant to what we're seeing in the environment yeah. and in the industry. Two days ago. Yeah, literally two days ago, we had that conversation. Yeah. Well, because because we and the BDC have to stay relevant too. It's not just yep. the sales team and the sales managers. Mm-hmm. We have to make sure that we're staying relevant to what's happening out there too, you know, is is what we're telling the customers still able to bring them in, get them converted to where they're set up properly for the sales team. And, um, you know, we can bring customers in all day long, but if we're bringing them in mad, then that's not a proper at bat for the sales team. Yes. So then, you know, we're not doing our jobs effectively. So Stan, um, I know this is a little bit of a controversial subject for you and us, but at what point do you say, I think that you're better off outsourcing this BDC. Or would you? Or would you? So I was anti-outsource for a long time because one, if I'm going to work at a dealership, it puts me out of the job, obviously. But it's I also felt like it's better when you're in store, you know what's going on. You have better communication with management. You know what cars in stock. Um, you're less likely to uh, bring someone in wrong. Um, and that was, that's really my issue. Now, keep in mind during COVID, I took a job running an outdoors BDC company and I did it for a year and, uh, I took over a, um, you know, my friend owns a BDC company and I went to work for him and we had a lot of untrained people. And, uh, during COVID, it was a different situation. We were pushing more digital retail, um, which the, we had a major dealer group of like 10 stores that had Roadster in their stores. And I just came out of retail for a year where um, I was using Roadster. So for me, it was actually fun to be able to incorporate that and train the, the, the BDC to use that. We had a situation where, where we had only 20% of the managers were working. So what would happen is uh, BDC wasn't, our, our BDC was not able to answer questions properly, overcome objections. They just got thrown into the job and we were sending out millions of emails every single day to management and nobody would respond. And we couldn't get back to the customer. So finally, I I created a little training program within our BDC company. And I got on the phone with all the GMs and said, hey, you know, we're getting all these pricing questions. You guys have Roadster. I know how to use it. Do you mind if I train my people how to use it so that we can at least get over that hurdle, get the customer what they want, give them that experience. And then if it comes time to getting a commitment or pushing it further, then we'll contact you. Because I know you don't want to get hundreds of emails from us every single day. And uh, they all agreed. And so I made that part of our process. I, I trained everybody on how to overcome objections, how to talk to customers. And, you know, within a week, we started to do a better job. Um, that's why we talked about DR a little bit yesterday on the phone when we were prepping for this. That, that, that's 
that's the whole the whole scenario for me. Now I'm, that I'm doing stuff on the OEM side, you know, DR is a very big thing for us, uh, especially with the OEM that I, um, um, you know, now now, now that, that we're, we're going through everything that we're going in this industry now, I, I think there's um, a big need for it. I just think that we need to work it a little smarter. Um, but at what point do we outsource the BDC? I mean, if it's, I always felt like it was a band-aid. It was always like, well, we can't get it right. Let's just get somebody making calls for us. And I've seen out, I've seen the dealers flip-flop constantly outsourcing and then bringing it back and then outsourcing. And um, so, it, and I've seen it work a handful of times and I've seen it fail a lot of times. And, and that's, that's why I, I kind of have this internal struggle. If I, if I had my own outsourced BDC company, um, I would do things a certain way uh, to retain that dealer. I would, I would, you know, get more involved and I would communicate with the dealers more. I would probably do a meeting every two weeks and uh, make sure that they communicate with me. The reason why outsourced BDCs fail, and, and, and I'm sure you see this too, is because of the lack of communication with the actual dealer. Um, yes. They just want things to be done and that's it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Hold on. I wanted to try to, I will, I left this comment up here for a reason. I wanted to address it so that um, when this gets uploaded for the podcast that, that people can can hear these too. So Ron's comment says, everyone looking for the free cupcake, the easy lay down lead. They don't want the grinders. Only reason because there isn't coaching and training in the BDC. They see, they see training and coaching as an expense, not an investment, or they use the excuse. They won't implement it once the trainer leaves, not the BDC's fault. It's a leadership problem. And it absolutely, absolutely. is because you have to inspect what you expect. And there's no reason for the GM dealer principal owner to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for these training programs, coaching programs, so on and so forth, if it's not going to be implemented. Right. 100%. He's 100% right. Absolutely. Robin, it's why Anthony Algon <laughs> and BDC exists 100%. You know, and I think that Stan hit the nail on the head there whenever he said it comes down to communication. So something that we do <laughs> is that we do... <laughs> I think this could be a drinking <laughs> So something that we do is we do weekly calls with our with our dealers and I'll tell you we know the ones that show up to those weekly calls are the ones that are the highest on our board. They're performing the best. They have the highest show rates, highest sold rates. You know, we've got we've got the best results and the ones that don't um that don't show up are really the ones that um they want the BDC to be a set it and forget it. Yes. They want that band-aid. They just want you to do the thing and let them know when they have appointments in the door. And those are the ones that they rarely work out, but they're probably not going to work out with an internal BDC either. Yeah. 100%. That's why they keep switching. You know, every couple months, we're going to do it this way. We're going to try this company. Then we're going to bring somebody in. Then they're going to fire somebody who actually did a good job for them. Yep. You know, and or sometimes they'll bring in somebody really inexpensively that doesn't know what they're doing. It's... You know, it's insanity, right? Definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over again. Yeah. Same result. Yeah. It takes what I found. Um, and there's, you know, I didn't realize, um, and you and I talked briefly about this yesterday. Um, I didn't realize how many outsourced BDCs were out there. Like I hear of the big ones. Um, obviously we know Anthony and appointments that show mm -hmm. we've heard of, uh, I can never remember if it's BDC central or central BDC. Central BDC. Yeah. Okay. And I think they're the ones who recently got bought out, like the beginning of this year, by Power BDC. I yeah, I can't remember. Maybe. So then there's Power BDC, and then yep. um, Elite. There's, but anyways, I had recently 
track down a whole list of all of them because I was working on some project mm -hmm. and um, found out there was a whole lot more than I realized there was. Yeah. And then it went even further back than that from ones that had had closed since then that were open before COVID even happened. These, there was a lot that came came about after COVID. Yeah. Um, and so I, I've started working on this because of a post that had started in a Facebook group, which is what you and I spoke about yesterday, and realized that so many dealers have been burned by outsourced BDCs. That yeah. that's, why, oh, yeah. that's why we have to work so hard yeah. to try and change the narrative because they had all set it up more so as a call center Mm -hmm. And not as an actual BDC, but they would slap the BDC title on it Yep. when they never had the intention of being a BDC. And so many people, it's funny, so many people have tried to convince us to be that call center oh. or to mm -hmm. change things, change the way we do things. Oh, it'll save you so much money or, oh, um, you'll be able to have so much more capacity if you'll just do this, this and this. And it's like, okay, but what does the dealer need? Yeah. Right. What is serving the need of the dealer? If the dealer doesn't have the capacity to train or maintain or uh, hire any of these things consistently, yeah, then they need this in a different location. Right. And we can offer them that. We have 170 seats here in this building. I love it. Still want to visit you guys. You need to. Well, come on down. Yeah. One of you guys. But that's one of that's one of the most important things I think is is making sure if you are going to outsource and we're not the only people and we're and the, we're not even the only people who do it right. I mean, Anthony Alagona, who's in the he's in the comments here example. watching with us, is I love Anthony. Oh, he's, he's my buddy. Amazing. It's amazing. But there's there's other companies that do it right too. There's not just one way to go, but do your research. Right. Mm -hmm. Ask the questions. Ask, the right questions. Yes. Ask the questions. Call the call their their references. Mm -hmm. Okay, I almost went yeah. rolls. <laughs> call their references. Mm -hmm. Ask the dealers who are using them. You know what has your experience been? You know, ask ask what your concerns are. Find yeah. out what that is because you have to know before you go into it and give it time. Yes, it is not going to be a, a success overnight. I promise you. Every dealership is different. Every market. Every oh my God. Every market is different. Like upstate New York and um, Detroit, Michigan. Yeah. Southern California, Southern Florida. They're all different. Mm -hmm. They're all different. And I'm yeah. sure training is the same way. I mean, how do you, how do you know when you go into a dealership in a different part of the country, how do you know how to train their, them effectively? Yeah. Their, their customer base is going to be different. Mm -hmm. I usually figure that out when I uh, get into town and I'm like, okay, so I'm going to have to dial it down. You know, I, I'm used to building big BDCs, right? So I'll walk, if I end up in a, in an area that I could just tell it's a small town and that store sells barely a hundred cars, I'm going to have to bring some energy, but I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to dial it down a little bit. I'm not building a 30 person BDC. I'm probably only going to work with a three person department where the manager is going to be more hands-on and uh, it's, it's actually kind of cool because I changed my mindset a little bit and then I do bring some of the intensity and I do bring a lot of recommendations. Hey, maybe you should consider this for marketing and that. And, but then it just becomes more hands-on. And then I realize that they're not getting more than 300 leads a month. So I have to teach them how to maximize better on that. And then I have to introduce, you know, lease retention and service drive and, you know, just to be able to, to give them a reason to be able to maximize every opportunity. 
Um, so immediately on the fly, my curriculum changes, but I have so many different training manuals. I have so many, I mean, it's funny. I, I, I go through my Google drive and I, I have things from 2011 and then things from 2014. And then last summer I redid my curriculum again uh, because, it, you know, I, I walk into dealerships. They're still saying the same thing on the phone they did 10 years ago. Uh, so I, I change up my curriculum constantly. Ron says, what is your guys' thoughts with the BDC manager or director penciling a deal with the high demand? The internet is the new showroom sense of urgency. Get the numbers now since the customer is online and is looking at other dealerships. I love it. I, you know what? And that's, that's one of those things where if you have a BDC director that sold cars and knows how to close, uh, it's great. Uh, I've done it. You know, th that's one thing that I'm fortunate in my career is I wasn't just a BDC director that knew how to talk on the phone. I, knew how to sell cars. I can jump out, take it up. I can pencil a deal, appraise a car. Um, I can even spin a deal. So uh, for me, uh, if it's me, then yeah, I can do it. No problems. And I usually get the authority to do it, but there, there's a lot that, that don't. Um, it, it's, that's just a different skill set and experience, uh, my opinion. I think, um, I mean, I would have more questions first. My, myself personally, like, you know, why are we, why are we penciling this deal? Why are we not bringing them in? You know, are they too far? Are they hours away? Why are they shopping with us and not more locally? I mean, not going to ask them, you know, why, why are you shopping with us and not a dealer closer to you? But yes. I would ask the questions that would lead me to that answer um, to figure that out. And obviously the first, the first goal is always to get them to the store because we know mm -hmm. their odds of buying are 80% higher once they're in the store. Yes. Mm -hmm. The odds of coming up with a down payment or a co-buyer if needed are 80% higher once we get them in the store. But we have to remember, and this is where a lot of what I do on the OEM side of things happens. We have to, you know, this is where digital retail is important because, you know, like, love them or hate them, Carvana, you know, we might not like them uh, because they, they mess with our business on the retail side, right? But one thing that they did a great job of doing is selling the customer on that customer experience and, you know, that customer journey. And so, um, and it's funny now that in inventory is coming back, there's dealers that are more willing to use their DR tool. You know, to, to Ron's point, you know, with, with penciling a deal, you have a DR tool most likely on your website. It's not that you have to work a deal and sell a car. It's really just to give that customer that experience. They have a question. They they don't want to be uh, brought into a store and sit there for eight hours that, you know, um, and I'll use an example, both of you, right? You know, married with kids. Do you have time to, to go into... Uh, you're, you're that newer generation too. You don't have time to go into a dealership on a Saturday and waste your Saturday away, right? You, if you put a lead into a dealership, you just want to make sure the car is there and the terms are right. And it's a fair dealership. You're just going to buy the car. It's a little easier for you because you work with dealers. So you know who to call, but just imagine if you weren't in the industry, you know, you don't have the time to, uh, you know, when can you come in and, uh, and then just work that whole process. Some people just want that, um, I hate to use the word frictionless, but they want that frictionless experience. And that's why it's important to be able to start utilizing those digital retail tools. We talked about this yesterday, but, you know, and we, you know, in OEM land, that's what they're pushing right now. They're, they're pushing for the dealers to start utilizing that because they want to give that customer the experience. Um, this is bringing me a cigar from Costa Rica. Thank you. <laughs> um, but, you know, that that's why where I think digital retail is important. I think it's... Uh, we need to do a better job of coaching our customers with, with that, you know, Mr. Customer, I'm very mindful of your time or Mrs. Customer, I'm very mindful of your time. We could do this a couple of different ways. We could set up a VIP appointment 
So you can come in and we can work everything out for you. Or um, we can start the process here since you know what you want. But now I see Robin just addressed let's address subprime. 100% agree with you. It's not possible to do that with subprime. Subprime is a different animal. Uh, subprime is uh, a situation where we do need to meet face-to-face and we have to have the right word tracks to let the customer understand that this is not a process that we can do over the phone. Well, and the majority of, of customers um, are subprime. I'm, I mean, other than, you know, those people who, who have the exact vehicle picked out, which um, I'll tell you, we don't deal with very many of those. Um, you know, between all of the stores that we work with, when a customer is interested in a vehicle, the odds of them buying that exact vehicle, I would say is probably less than 20%. The the vehicle they put the lead in on, less than, I mean, and 20% is probably even still high. Um, so the fact that so much can change from the beginning of the process to the end of it, and that so many of our stores do offer that digital retailing option and that things can change from the start of the process to the end because mm-hmm. either you know they want to lay eyes on it and then by the time that they do, something was wrong with it. It didn't smell right. It didn't drive right. It wasn't that exact thing. Or they, they got there and saw, oh, actually, I kind of like this one over here better. Or this one actually kind of looks more like what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm and then grabs their attention. And I I told my team this the other day because I'm a perfect example of this. When I bought my last car, I went went to the dealership and this was actually um, right after COVID. It was July of 2021, um, right right at the very tippity top of the new car inventory shortage. Mm -hmm. Um, I went there to place my order for a Kia Stinger. Love that car. I loved the Stinger. I knew exactly what I wanted. I knew the color. I knew the trim level, everything. Um, That's all I was going there to do. I walk in, um, go to meet with the salesperson and start talking about this. I look out the window. I see a 2022 K5 GT. And I ask, what's up with that car? Tell me about that. And he's like, oh, it's uh, one of the new K5s. It's It's a GT. It's got the turbo in it. I'm like, I got nothing else to do. Let's go take it for a drive. Mm hmm. Took it for a drive. I bought it that day. Mm-hmm. I didn't place yeah. it for a stinger. You're the wheel makes the deal. So that's what I was taught 20 years yeah. ago. So in that, and that, I mean, I knew what I wanted. I walked in knowing what I wanted that day. I was placing an order for a stinger. I had no intentions of buying a K5. I had no interest in a K5. I still drive that car almost two years later. I love that car. That's a cool car. It is. It's got some interesting product. It's so cool. It might as well. be the longest you've kept a car. Since I, I, I think it you. is. <laughs> I think it is the longest I've kept a car. But it goes to show that even somebody in the industry who knows how all of this crap works can get surprised. Like, right. <laughs> they, yeah. you know that you want something, and so that's the hardest part about this digital retail and even being in the BDC part of things because that's how we train and that's how we train these agents is. Um, is to never to never oversell on the phone. We're not selling cars on the phone. We're selling appointments. So, so knowing that we lose out on our op- or certain opportunities because of the fact that we're not getting them in the store mm-hmm. and some other dealer does work a little bit harder to get them in the store and does, you know, how do you know where that line is? Um. The way that I like to work it is, is with the digital retail tools is I like to get a commitment out of the customer. You're not trying to sell the car so much, but you want to get a, you want to get them more committed. And one way that I'll usually do that utilizing the digital retail tool is I will get them to give me a credit app. They'll make me an offer on the phone. And, and I, and as much as I don't like to say on the showroom floor, if I can 
I could do this, would you? Because we, that was an old school line. It actually has worked for me in the BDC. And uh, I would normally push for a credit app. I get a credit app from them. They're, they're more committed. At, at which point then I can, in your situation, you know, you work with a lot of dealers. In your situation, if you were had to go to that step, it would have to, you would have to end up getting a salesman involved or mm-hmm. a salesperson or a manager involved where it would have to be a real-time communication where I'm trying to bring this person in. They're not willing to do it unless we could do this. And then, and then, you know what the reality of it is they can work their DR system uh, in the store. I had a store that I was at a few weeks ago that um, they have a BDC for three stores. And then as soon as it becomes a discussion of price and this store sells almost 200 new cars a month for that brand, um, it goes right to the sales floor and they, they use dealer.com. They use their digital retail tool and their salespeople jump on it and they, they schedule deliveries and they work a deal over the phone. Um, BDCU still gets credit because they, they work with as much as they could, but they end up, it helps them sell about 30 cars a month that way. And that's their process. And I thought it was really neat. And it really opened my eye, my mind up to a lot of things. It's funny. A lot of stores, you talk to managers, they don't want to use the tool. They don't want to use it in, in, in the showroom. Um, you know, it's a fear of loss type situation, right? Where they lose their control, which to an extent they do. Mm-hmm. So I always challenge the dealers. If you're going to get to that, make sure that you have a seasoned staff, make sure that everybody's on board. Obviously, if you have a Greenpeace salesperson, you don't want them learning that. They need to learn how to communicate first and start selling 20 cars a month before they can right. get to that. Um, but I, I think that tool was really there more for technology assisted selling more than anything else. Good. We do that all the time where we go to talk at the same time. So is that something that the, do you think should even be something that's handled by the BDC or would it, would it, um, complicate their thought process too much and should be handled by either an internet team, internet sales team, something along those lines. I think when I continuously try to wrap my head around it, I think it muddies their brain too much. It does. Not not everyone's going to think like like myself or operate it that way. Um, not everyone's going to think like yourself. You might be able to, to work it no problems. Right. You're also seasoned. You know. You're also a trainer. You, you know what you're saying and how to work your technology. Um, I think that it really depends on the dealer. It depends on their process, how, how they operate. Um, if you're telling me you're working with a lot of subprime stores, that might not even be a situation for you. Mm-hmm. You might not even have to worry about that. Um, but you also need to think about, you know, how do I bring more people to the store? You know, what can I, what can I say to get that customer, you know, to want to trust me and, and do business with me? And, you know, to an extent, you know, I would use it more for, you don't even need to use your DR tool. Maybe you can get a credit app out of them. You know, you get, you get someone to put a credit app in. It's a lot easier to ask them for the appointment. They're going to come in. Now they're, they're committed. It's one, it's one of those give and take scenarios, right? You got to give a little and take a little. And that's really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you're going to have people that are brand new to the job, um, I, I wouldn't just have them. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think, um, I mean, like you said, that with, with our seasoning, we can tell the difference um, in those customers. I mean, I'm thinking to back on some sim experiences where I've had customers that were like that. Um, you know, we had a, a big Kia store that was down in Florida that had, they advertised all over the country. And so they would have people um, when Tellurides were like the big dang deal or the carnivals mm-hmm. even, 
that would call in from all over the country saying, I have been looking everywhere for this SX Telluride with the wolf gray exterior and the this color interior, and you have one right now, I will put a $10,000 deposit on it right now. If you will keep it for me and deliver it, I will buy it right now. And you're like, okay, like that's a serious buyer, you know. Yeah. And so same, same day, somebody else could call in and be like, yeah, I live in Minnesota. I know you guys are in Florida, but I'm looking at this and kind of just want to know some pricing information and you guys deliver and what does that look like? And what's your financing options? You probably know that's not an actual deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. So you can tell you have to pay attention to, to their tone, right? How they talk to you, how they ask. And I always talk about that. You know, the more experience you get being on the phone, you'll be able to tell by how someone talks to you. Mm-hmm. Well, especially if somebody has been looking for that model for a while, they're right. if, if depending on how long they've been looking for it if it's the exact one they're looking for mm-hmm. they're probably at the point where exact price is not even a factor for them right 100% Stan we talked about something a little bit yesterday and I think that we even touched on it earlier on on the show but you know how do you feel about there being too many hands in the cookie jar whenever it comes to BDC I think that um Personally, I think that it muddies the customer experience substantially, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Well, that's well, that's what led me to when I took the last opportunity to, to build the BDC for six stores. I I got rid of everything and I said, we're going to start fresh. It was halfway through the month. I said, let's just get through this month. Let me hire a bunch of people. Let, let me train people. Let's get everything up and running. My issue is, and, and this is really more, and I, listen, I, I'm a vendor too, right? But this is really more as we have too many vendors in the space and this is no offense to anybody in particular. Uh, there's too much technology. There's a lot of really, really incredible technology. You go to, you go to an ADA digital dealer. Uh, it's a buffet of opportunities. We have a million different lead engagement tools. You know, there's a couple that I personally like, uh, that I'm a fan of, but then we have, we have CRMs that we can condition and set them up to do things a certain way. Then we have, uh, people that we have to hire and train them to do things a certain way. And then of course you have salespeople that are sitting there waiting for the next stop that are being told by managers, you need to get on the phones. And now what happens is between a BDC calling and outsource BDC calling and AI tool, sending engaging messages, uh, salespeople calling with a different message completely. Uh, I just feel like, and I, I, I everywhere I go, I call it too, too many hands in the cookie jar syndrome. Mm-hmm. And that's real. Unfortunately, that's just a technology. And that's just, that's that, um, the mindset that we have is we need that instant gratification fast and we're going to get there no matter what. And we just start to forget completely about how the customer feels and how they think. And then you, you show up on a Saturday and you, you know, you sell zero cars and two out of 29 appointments come in. And then you start seeing a lot of people calling saying, you know what, you guys are harassing me at this point. I'm done. And it's like, okay, I have to take everything away. And I have to say, okay, you're going to make these calls. You stop sending these text messages. And it's funny. I was using, um, I'm not going to mention the name of the company, but I was using a, a, a text message uh, lead engagement platform that uh, was set up to, to do follow-up as well. And I told, and I, I, I did a lot of good stuff with them in the past. And I said, you guys are done. Stop sending anything. In fact, the only person that's going to send out a text blast is going to be me because I, I actually learned from them how to operate and, and I, I did really well with sending out text blasts. And so I would, as soon as they stopped their nonsense, I started using their system my way. Uh, we had a lot more 
um, effectiveness with that. Uh, I just feel like it's being mismanaged. There's just too many pieces of software and technology. I mean, if you think about how many logins do you have? I mean, you work with a, a lot of dealers. You have a bunch of logins, right? Not just not just to their CRMs or their websites, but also their third-party lead sources. And, um, the, you know, cars.com says you have to do it this way and CarGurus does it this way. And then, you know, AutoTrader gives you this call monitoring tool, but then you get call review and, and call review wants to, and it's just too freaking much. Yeah. So my issue is we need to manage this better. Like, you know, especially GMs and owners, they need to sit down and look at what they're spending their money on and be like, well, isn't this going to conflict with this? And it might take them two days to lock themselves in a room and, you know, and create a spreadsheet and realize, well, I'm paying for this and this, but then this is interfering. How do I streamline everything? That's, you know, and, and that's what, when I tell people it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's what I'm talking about. Yep. I need to dissect it yes. and break it down and let's do it right this way. I, it's so true. Um, how overwhelming it is. And it's funny because I didn't realize it until after um, Ron says, where's the ROI truth? Um, I didn't realize it until after we started the podcast and I would go through and at first I was individually like picking who I would invite to the podcast. Mm -hmm. And as I was going through my Facebook friends, I'm like, I don't even realize like who some of these people are. And so then I would like open up their Facebook profiles and try to match them based on their job descriptions in there. And their freaking job descriptions tell me absolutely nothing. nothing. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. or then I would go to LinkedIn and then like their LinkedIn would be like chief strategist officer at digital blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, nothing. I know yeah. nothing from that. <laughs> and like, they mm-hmm. think that they're being so creative with what they're saying. And it's like, you're actually doing the opposite. You're doing the opposite of what you think you're doing by making yourself sound smarter or more advanced, you're not helping me whatsoever. Know what you do or be able to count on you. If I if I have a dealer who's like, hey, do you know anybody that does blah, blah, blah? I might. I have no idea though. It's, it's uh, yeah, you know what? And, and that, those are the people that just like to stay under the radar. They don't write blogs and they don't, they're not out there as much. It's uh, yeah, it happens. And, you know, we just have, that's why we have to continuously brand ourselves and be known. And so people know, like, like, I know what you do, you know what I do, right? Um, mm-hmm. People commenting here, they, you know, they, they know what I do and what you do. So, you yeah. know, we're constantly out there where we're trying to be seen. That's how we get business. That's how we grow. Right. Well, and it's like, I, I think about it every time we come to prepare for a podcast and on LinkedIn and Facebook, every single time I invite all of my, co- my contacts on LinkedIn and every time I invite all of my Facebook friends and I, I think about it when I do it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to piss some people off because there's people who are definitely not going to be interested in watching right. this because there are people I went to high school with yeah. or people who aren't in automotive and they're not going to want to watch this or whatever. And and I'm like, Ugh. but at the same time, I want people to know what I do because yeah. I get very upset when I find out that I recommended another company when I had somebody who I would have rather recommended had I known that they did that. Right. Like did this service that a dealership asked for and i like person a over person b but i didn't know exactly what person a offered so i want people to know this is the service that i offer this is what i do these are these are all the things we do we've had people who um in like recent months came to us and said 
we didn't even know you guys still did social media marketing. Yeah. And so like, we've tried to make sure that we mention it in the podcast, like, Hey, we, we still do social media marketing. It's not just BDC mm-hmm. because we talk about the BDC so much that yeah. people think that's all we do. And it's like, we still have a whole marketing department here. Like we have, mm-hmm. we have a 10,000 square foot building here. I promise you, we have room for both. Mm-hmm. And so it's important if you're not talking about yourself, I promise you, nobody else is. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's true. It's true how similar we are. I had, had my, my training company and I had a B and I had a uh, social media company. I don't do anything with it really anymore, but it's funny how similar we are. Yeah. See, and yeah. And you know, it's, it's wild. I wanted to, I wanted to go back to Kim's comment here real quick. Simplify the lead sources, listen to the calls as if you were that customer and learn what they need to do to get them in the door. They called for a reason to buy the car. And then we should never forget what it's like to be a customer. I will so tell simple. you if in your BDC, you don't have the ability to listen to calls, stop what you're doing right now and go find some vendor, some provider that will give you the option to listen to calls. I recommend call review personally. I do too. I have no, pers- I have no personal buy-in with them. I just have used them a lot and recommend their service. Yeah. I like call review. I like total CX. There's car wars. I mean, but mm-hmm. I, I worked with call review uh, one-on-one when they were a brand new company. They were one of our, we were actually one of their top dealers, uh, you know, because I just, I listened to what their guidelines were and, we, we create, we actually, we had a training company in our store at the time. And once we got rid of them and we started doing things on our own, our results went up. Uh, we did everything organically. We changed up our word tracks, even how we asked for the appointments. I was in the Bronx, so it was a different world. And uh, we were killing it with call review. Uh, and this is before you could do outbound calls with them. This is just when they were just sending you alerts on inbound calls for sales and service. So uh, that's one of my least favorite parts of them is that it's so built around the inbound and not the outbound because so much of what the BDC is, is outbound. And I know it would take so much more volume to put the focus on the outbound, but obviously as BDC managers, like we need to know more so what's happening on the outbounds, but obviously there's more opportunity on the inbound. So I understand it, but I would have more information to go off of if there was more platform data available for the outbound. If anybody sure. from All Review is listening, please hear that from me. Thank you. Yeah. So that's not a bad idea. <laughs> Stan, we're getting ready to wrap up here. Can you tell yeah. our audience and all of our viewers here, um, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, so my website's in the back, dealeretraining.com. It's the the word dealer, the letter E, the word training. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, at Stan Share. You can find me on Instagram, at Stan Share. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um yeah. You know, I'll even put out my phone number. That's uh, 732-925-8362. Call or text me anytime. Um, you know, I'm, I'm available to talk to anybody at any time. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank and you I so have much. one question I want to ask you oh, sure. before we go. I'd written it down and I didn't know we were wrapping up this quick. Otherwise, I would have asked it oh, already. I'm sorry. You're okay. Um, how trained do you feel is too trained in the BDC? Oh. Too tra- I don't think there's enough training. Too trained. I mean, that's that's a mindset of somebody who thinks they're great and they aren't. They think they know everything. Um, I don't. Uh, there's no such thing as too trained because it's ongoing. Our market changes. You know, we go from price shoppers, you know, people shopping for price, to is the car available, to how much over MSRP are you charging? Uh, I don't feel like there's such thing as too trained. I, I think that we all have to learn. Uh, from everybody. And I'm not just saying learn from automotive people. I mean, 
I'll sit there and I'll watch Gary Vaynerchuk and I'll study him and I'll study Tony Robbins. I'll study people that weren't in the auto industry uh, because at the end of the day, and, I, and I've been saying this for years and I'm going to continue to say it, we're really not in the auto industry. We're really in the people industry. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, so our whole job is to communicate effectively, to be able to listen, overcome objections and get people to agree with us. That's our whole job. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the car, the transaction, that's like the byproduct of everything. That's where it ends. But then from there, you have to be able to maintain that communication so that you can bring them back and sell them more and service them. So I don't believe in such a thing as too trained. I mean, I think my skills are very honed and I still, you know, I was watching Andy Elliott today. I was, I was watching him, uh, his, um, uh, his stream, right? And I'll say this, I don't always agree with everything that he says, but then there's things that he says that really like, like spark, you know, light light a match for me and really sparked me like he he was training a group today and there was things he was saying that i was like wow like never thought of it that way um and like i said i don't always agree but then there's things he says you know and and if there's anybody that's really uh i've been inspired by for personal self-improvement in recent times it's just watching his videos um both in personal life and, and and in in business and so um, I have to say that uh, there's no such thing as too trained. You have to constantly be reading. You have to constantly be blogging, putting out content, not only training yourself, but also inspiring others. Do you think that applies to, um, uh, I want to find the way to word this right. Not quite vehicle knowledge, but... but vehicle knowledge. So, yeah. So my, my bigger question, I guess, is if they know too much about the vehicles or about the financing process, can it hurt them more than it helps them? You know, it depends on the customer. If you're selling Audis, then you know what? You probably should know a little bit about your vehicles. You know, if you're selling Kias, maybe not as much, but then again, the K5, you know, it's a more advanced vehicle. I think it really depends. I mean, if you're if you're dealing with subprime, maybe not so much because really the issue is what can I get you approved on? But when you're dealing with, you know, that Volkswagen, that Audi customer, that BMW customer that might be an engineer that knows more, they're going to ask you questions. Uh, or maybe if you're selling commercial trucks, you know, it, it just varies on, on, you know, what kind of what you're selling. Right. But is that for the salesperson or the BDR? Well, the salesperson needs to know their vehicles. The BDR, to an extent, it depends on the product. Uh, To an extent, it'd be great because if they can provide enough information, uh, they'll they'll do fine. But keep in mind, too, you know, you go on a VDP page, it's got all the details. All you have to do is pull up a window sticker and you know what the car has, you know, and you know, there's a lot of salespeople out there that don't know their product that can sell off of a window sticker. Just put me in front of a window sticker. I, I don't I don't have the product knowledge on cars like I used to. Right. Um, I am an enthusiast, so some cars I know. But if I you put me in front of a window sticker, I will communicate effectively. Yeah, and I learn something while I'm doing it too. Things change so fast. I mean, especially how quickly they will change the the trim levels of each vehicle. And then the next year they come out and it's like, okay, well now this trim offers this, but no longer this. And it's like, you have to keep up so much and being expected to know all of that at all times. Like, no, 
I know. I had the hardest time keeping up. I was raised in a Kia store. I, I probably say this on every episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I was raised in a Kia store, and I had the hardest time in the world when Kia did away with the LX, EX, SX models <laughs> and switched to the S, EX, SX. Yeah. Uh, I still struggle with it because I, I literally, I could say all those models in my sleep, like of, of each one. Um, I struggled so hard when they switched to those and then they did the GT line and the GT, mm-hmm. but only on certain models, like that was hard. And so mm-hmm. when it, when it, when the BDC has to think about those things and then they chance getting it wrong and then they set up the customer to be you know, upset when they get in, I just feel sometimes that can overcomplicate things and instead Hey, you know what? We're going to go over all your options when you get here. We do have some, op- some, you know, we have 20 different Fortes in stock right now that we can go over with you when you get here. We just want to make sure that we pick you out the right one once you're here. Makes sense. I think there's so many different ways to do this right. There really is. I always say there's so many different ways to skin a cat, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's also so many ways to do it wrong. Yes. Oh my God. I, 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 the stuff that I see sometimes, I, it's, I'll go out to store. When's the last time you changed your email templates? Oh, it's been three years. Oh God. Oh, that's yeah. my, uh, four, four times. So you're still saying the same message, even though you have no inventory, like what's going on here. You know, I, I had talked, it's funny. I re-listened to our first episode the other day and I'd re-listened to it. Um, I had stopped having our BDC use the the templates because they were all the ones that were either in the CRMs or that the dealership had built years ago. Yeah. Like, these are awful. The fonts don't match. Like guys, stop using templates. Just stop. And I was like, please just hand type all your emails. And, and then not realizing like that's so much to ask of them <laughs> to hand type that many emails a day that they just didn't send any emails. And then chat GPT came out and I'm like, oh, 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 guys, <laughs> use this, use yep. this. And then like, <laughs> and then like, that wasn't like the greatest either. And so I'm like, you know what? I feel like I'm pretty good at knowing what to do. I'm just going to build all my templates. Like I want, I want the templates to look how I want them to look. And I know what I would want to say to where it sounds like this is a personal experience every time. And it's matched with where the customer is in the process. Mm -hmm. So I made my own for, you know, for if the lead's not contacted, if it is contacted, if it's a missed appointment, where they are in the process and just threw them on the CRMs. And I'm like, you guys don't even have to think about it now. Just, yeah. Go on. I, uh, I, I, you know, it's funny. I did that in recent times and I had chat GPT help me shorten stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I would then re, you know, it would make me think differently and then I would rewrite it, but I make it now where it's three, four sentences max. Um, and it's, you know, you hit them once, twice a day and then you skip a, a day or two and then, you know, so, but that's how it should be. Uh, the old email templates. And I used to use them like crazy. My, I used to use, and I remember I stole this from Acton Toyota. Uh, in Littleton, uh, from in Massachusetts, for many years ago, they used to have a really incredible uh, autoresponder, and I stole it from them, and then I reworded it, and I used it, and I believe it or not, I still use it, but I shortened it a lot. It was a whole book, and it was engaging because it would. Can you skid a cat the wrong way? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was. It was in. Uh, it was interesting because it would be a, a, an autoresponder with. Uh, you know, with three engaging questions. And so that when the customer would get that email template, they didn't think that it was an autoresponder. They thought that I, it was very uh, personalized and it would help me get more responses. And mm-hmm. sometimes even before I can call them, they would set up an appointment with me. 
And so um, I still use that till this day. I, I It's a good practice. Uh, the goal was to make those messages not look like they're templated or generic exactly. and make them sound like they're personalized. Exactly. And that's, that's what I did with mine too. Like I, that's why I hated templates is because customers know, mm -hmm. they know yeah. when it's not you talking to them. And so that was when I, when I built them, I wanted customers to feel like this is somebody who's actually reaching out to me right now. Mm -hmm. And so I took my time with them and, um, and with every thought and, and the whole thought behind it was, you know, we, we started this off as a marketing company. And when you're marketing, the thought behind every post you make, every ad you make is this has to create engagement. Mm -hmm. How, how are people going to engage with this? And so I used that thought too, when creating these templates and it's not just, I want to send this out just to send this. I want to send this out because I want them to engage with it and I want it to grab their attention. Yeah. So it's, you know, on day one saying something and then knowing that on day two, what I said the day before, and then on day 12, remembering what I had said on, you know, day one through 11 and referencing back, Hey, a couple of days ago, I had, I had asked you about this, but I didn't see that you responded back because remember all of these are based on the current status. So yeah. these are all assuming these, that this customer still has not responded to me. So that is so important, but but the biggest but of all is that so many people are not trained to do that. I, the, I can probably count on one hand in the 10 years I've done this, the people that I know that are trained to do that in their CRM. You're 100% right. And very, that's, very, very few. that's the sad part because even people who work for the CRMs can't, can't properly teach BDMs to do that or don't know to when they sign up with a new CRM? Um, it's, you know, it's funny. I was working, I'm not going to mention CRM. I was working with a CRM when I was dealing with that six store group and uh, my performance manager came out of the miller room, which really shocked me because I, I'm used to, for the amount of money we were spending, I'm used to having a pro that knows how to use the system. And um, I told them like, no offense, but I'm going to ride you pretty hard. Um, but you're, you're going to learn how to do this because uh, if you ever get, you ever get another BDC director at my level, uh, they're going to be very difficult to work with. So we're going to learn this together. I'm like, but you're going to get 20 calls a day for me. Um, which, you know, that, that's, yeah, they, they, they didn't know what they were doing. Like we had to go to a senior performance uh, manager for, for certain things. Um, you know, you're right. It's and, and it's sad, but it takes so much time and, um, and dedication to know how to do that and then let alone how to do it in multiple crms that finding the person who can even teach that is so hard like mm -hmm. yeah. i think of um and there could be so many more people out there who offer this so if i'm friends with you and you offer this and i don't know it advertise it better please <laughs> I, I think of people like bobby heron so um, bobby heron is one of the very few people who mm -hmm. i know that offers this as a service that she does this in Vin Solutions where she'll build out all of those processes for you and also um, the templates that go along with it. And it's super nutted down, like down to the lead source even. Mm -hmm. But to my knowledge, she only does it in one CRM. She's a Vin master. She's, you know what, she's part of that crew mm -hmm. uh, over the years that was using Vin. Um, and she's a master of Vin. I, I know how to use Vin very well. 
Uh, but I've used so many CRMs. I will say that I'm not as good in VIN as someone like Bobby or mm-hmm. or Jared Killaway, who um, used to work for VIN many years yeah. ago. Too, right. So it's it's one of those things where uh, yeah, if you if you're a master of the CRM, um, yeah, you you could do that service. Yeah. Yeah. So if uh, if that's something you offer, like please advertise it because um, I guarantee you there's people out there looking for it. I I, oh, yeah. I, well, I, I I do offer it. I do get dealers that that will bring me on just to go fix their email templates. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do like a CRM coaching uh, my way, not the way the vendor does it, but like my way, like this is how at a high level internet BC director, this is how I would do things. This is why it should be done this way. And um, I do get, I do get dealers that bring me on to, to revamp their, their stuff. Yeah. I'm looking to do that a little more um, in recent times. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't even know you did that. So. Yeah, it's part of. I, listen, my website talks about more BDC than anything else, but I, I do a lot more than BDC. I do need to revamp my offerings um, a little bit, but that's. Well, use your socials too, because I mean, yeah, I've never been on your website. Yeah. But it's all right. There's probably a lot of people who've never been on our Epic BDC website either, because True. we don't, we don't so drive a lot of social. Yeah, social. We social. don't drive a lot of traffic there, so. Um, that's why we, we try uh-huh. to use our socials to, you know, tell our story just in case, Yep. you know, people yep. are never driven to our website. So if, uh, if you're connected with people on social media, guys, tell your story there because there's a chance they never make it to your website and they, they never know what you do. Yes. It's so true. It is so true. So anyways, this was a huge conversation. It we was. knew it, we knew it was going to be, this is, um, hands down the longest podcast we've ever had. So thank you for that. <laughs> we knew that it would be. We were prepared. Yeah. So this was this was wonderful. Um, such a good conversation. I know that we could probably go for at least two more hours and never stop talking. Um, but let's stop it at a good point here. I think that we can we can probably have a part two at some point um, and pick this back up. But um, for now, um, we'll put a stop to it as much as I don't want to because <laughs> I, I talk BDC all day long. It's <laughs> that's where my heart is. It's where my soul is. I yep. don't long. I worked freaking 12 hours a day. And mm-hmm. so, all right, well, I guess we'll go ahead and start wrapping it up then. Yeah. Um, so, so Stan, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Everything that you have had to say has been so valuable to us and I'm sure everybody Absolutely. else watching as well. So thank you so much. And we do anticipate doing a part two at some point down the road. And we're excited for that. We're excited to see what more we can bring to the table for everybody with you, Stan. Um, so again, thank you for thank you for coming on the show and for everybody watching in a world where you can be anything, be kind because you never know what battles other people are facing. Yes. I love, are facing I love it. I love it. You got the search. Mm-hmm. So, so when you go out into the world this week, remember to light it up. And we hope everybody has a wonderful rest of their week and a fantastic weekend coming up. Bye, guys. Bye. Take care.